Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. This is Julie and today is episode 12 of my podcast. It is the second of a series, a four-part series entitled Parenting the Restorative Way with Rick Kelly. And today is episode two of that four-part series. Parenting without shame, restorative and respectful discipline is our topic. And for those of you wondering, my guest today, Rick Kelly, he's a fellow colleague and child and youth care practitioner that has over 40 years experience working as a child and youth worker. And I have an extensive bio recorded uh, for him and about him in episode one. So I encourage people to go and have a listen to that episode if you haven't done that already. Something that I find really neat now that I've done a number of podcasts is that the majority of the professionals that I'm speaking to, a lot of the times what's coming up, when I give them the context and the purpose for the podcast, they understand that a big part of and what comes up in our conversations is understanding that part of the trained mental health professional that has had to do our own work in order to be the best possible person that we can be while helping our clients through difficult times. And so checking our biases and understanding, you know, what it is that we bring to the therapeutic relationship that is helpful and professional and ethical and uh, isn't our own human, you know, imperfections that have no place in a therapy process. And so what I like about today's episode is Rick talks about how parents, he encourages parents in a restorative role with their child He talks about how parents also do need to check in with themselves and understand what they're bringing to the dynamic. One of the things that he talks about is that that question of why did you do that and the impact of that on a child and understanding how shame is pervasive in our culture, that it's subtle and unintended in terms of the message that it gives to another person. And how for kids especially, they will translate a question just to use the question, why did you do that, as an example of letting a parent or caregiver down and that there's something wrong with them. These are sort of the the way that their immature and growing brain works. And so that's why understanding shame and how it's problematic in our relationship with your child is so important. So he speaks about something called the compass of shame and he'll sort of break down how asking the question and I'll just go with it again. 
what did you do or why did you do that, how it has a, as a, an accusatory tone, and how on the flip side of that, understanding that being explorative in our communication with our children, being curious, being open, ultimately grows that resilience in your child or preserves their self-esteem. It helps to enhance the ability to work through challenges and adversity. And most importantly, it doesn't blame and it doesn't shame. And so rather than say too, too much more because it is so rich, I think I'll just leave it at that and have a listen. And please don't hesitate to contact us if you have any feedback or comments. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. Okay, Rick, it's uh, nice to chat with you again today. Rick is back with me in our Parenting the Restorative Way series. This is uh, the second of that series. And today we're going to be talking about parenting without shame, restorative and respect respectful discipline. How are you, Rick? Uh, I'm very good. It's a nice day. It is. It's very nice. Out. It's, it's chilly. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. So it's uh, a nice sweater day. <laughs> Not too hot right, and humid. But a break. Yeah. A break from that heat that we just had. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I guess I wanted to start off and acknowledge that the uh, we did have tech issues in our first mm -hmm. episode, but I wanted to salvage that episode as much as possible. It was so rich in information. And there was uh, two key things that sort of underpin the majority of our series, Parenting the Restorative Way, and I wondered if you just wanted to elaborate on those. You didn't get a chance to in the first episode, and I wanted to give you some time now. Uh, yeah, there was two um, aspects that I wanted to pull out that maybe got mentioned, um, but I wanted to be a little bit more um, explicit and highlight um, two, two features. One is obviously um, the central role of attachment in terms of parenting. So that's where, um, as we know, secure attachment is fundamental to, um, you know, young children, young children's development and their later development, um, you know, in, in life and that. And that's where I thought that, you know, talking about and bringing together sort of the restorative approach and framework with parenting was actually um, quite unique because, you know, the, a restorative approach is relational. Parenting, you know, begins with attachment and then, um, you know, parents need to have a relationship that changes over time um, as their child grows and goes through all the different sort of milestones and that. So that's where I thought it was a, a very unique um, sort of dimension um, that I wanted to sort of talk about and explore. The other thing is in terms mm -hmm. of a, then attachment, um, as we know, in being a parent, um, our kids are very closely linked to our sense of self and our identity. And that's where I think it poses uh, a unique challenge because um, sometimes um, we are so close to our kids in terms of identity that what happens around them also happens to us at the same time. And that's where, mm -hmm. you know, you know, sort of bringing in other tools, I think allows parents to have some um, perspective on parenting, but also some thoughtful distance from what's happening on so they can be more intentional about um, the parenting they do with their kids. And when you say that, it makes me think 
more so than a reactive response because we are so connected to our kids that if they don't make a football team, for example, Mm -hmm. we can take that on as parents personally, can't we? Without a doubt. And that's where I think that, you know, um, you know, our kids ups and downs, um, you know, will, will sort of have an impact on us. Uh, The other thing that I've seen is also, you know, if you have a child that, you know, poses some, um, you know, sort of you know, sort of com- complex challenges for other people, um, like teachers or, you know, sort of uh, program leaders, sometimes the messages that come back about the child end up shaming the parent because they feel so close naturally to their own child. So it becomes obviously uh, quite personal. That's where, once again, um, tools and the opportunity to, you know, take a perspective on things gives us hopefully some thoughtful distance to respond. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that in the first episode, didn't we, about how uh, there has been a tendency to um, shame Mm -hmm. parents. And I don't even necessarily want to say that that's a direct intention, but indirectly, that's what what ultimately can happen. And so uh, that thoughtful approach, the thoughtful distance and the perspective... uh, and separating that. So that is attachment together with restorative. Yeah, correct? it's blinking, you know, the um, the features of attachment to, um, you know, sort of the um, dynamics of, of relationships um, between parent and kids, um, you know, with that sort of unique constellation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, right. And... Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, because that's where, you know, hopes and dreams come into play for parents around their kids. Um, You know, our hopes and dreams um, are about our kids, but also they're also about ourselves sometimes. You know, sometimes we live Mm -hmm. out um, our own sort of wishes through our own children, um, which can be a bit of a challenge because children are simply individuals and have their own unique personality and, and potential. And what we want may not be um, what they want in that. So that's where, once again, um, having some distance, um, you know, and appreciating sort of uh, the, you know, unique individuality of our kids is really important. And that can be, you know, in terms of, you know, their talents and abilities, but also if if you, you know, have a child that has some challenges, it's, you know, appreciating the unique features of, you know, those challenges but seeing the strengths um in the individuality that's there for that particular child mm-hmm. in in a direct sort of this is who you are as an individual person versus this is who i am as a connected being to you that brings all of my historical stuff personality, like you said my wants uh it's understanding obviously you play a big role as a parent mm-hmm in raising your child, but also realizing and working towards fostering who that unique person is that is separate from, from right. Exactly. I mean, you know, simple example would be, you know, uh, if you're expecting your child to go on to university, um, that might be more about you than your child because your child may Mm -hmm. not want to, um, go on to university. You know, a couple of my kids have, you know, delayed going on, um, mm-hmm. one didn't go on to university, did college and did, has done very incredibly well for herself running her own business. 
Um, you know, my 16 year old says, um, he's not going on after high school. Um, and this is going to wait and see. So I need to, you know, check myself and say, okay, um, this is what fits for him. Um, you can't force kids, um, to do things that they don't want to, particularly as they get into their teen and, um, early adult years. Mm hmm yeah we're we're sort of going through that in uh in my household as well because i have one that's graduating this year and uh and with my training i take that step back and even as a parent it was it just came to me one day because uh he's driving and there's posted speed limits Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i you know as much as i can tell him you're gonna get a speeding Mm -hmm. ticket I realized that, you know what, my role as a parent, it's not done, but it's different. Like you said earlier, it shifts and change. Parenting shifts and changes over time. And I remember I sort of took a step back, mm-hmm. like that check yourself, like you're saying. And I was, I thought to myself, this, there are world, there are issues out there in the world, or there are lessons out there mm-hmm. in the world that are going to teach him a lesson that I can't teach as yeah. a parent anymore which is that if you speed, you get a ticket and then there are consequences. And it's really interesting because of course, with my background and training, I have the knowledge, but there's that emotional attachment. So, you know, for the average parent who doesn't have child development Mm -hmm. understanding and hasn't studied children and youth, that I know is difficult for me. So I can only imagine how difficult it is for the average person. Right. Well, and the other thing is, I think the ongoing challenge and doesn't, and I think sometimes it doesn't even matter if you're, train because the you know i think it just mm-hmm. makes it all very human and real and i think the you know the, mm-hmm. the you know the battle and the dialogue is between the head and the heart so you know you yeah. may feel something um you know around your child and be protective but your head may say hold on i can't protect them in all c- circumstances really what i need to do is give them the skills and the ability to mm-hmm. think through what the consequences and impacts will be of their decisions and then they have to go do it um, and find out, um, you know, what the world is telling them. You know, it's kind of like the example of, you know, teaching kids to drive. I think it's, you know, symbolic and real. There's a parent, you move out of the driver's seat and you're now in the passenger seat. And that's to me is that kind of relational picture, which is you are with them and you're on a journey, but you're on a journey to help them develop skills um, that they can then sort of, you know, employ on their own. It's like teaching kids to, you know, tie their shoes or ride a bike um, or handle bullying in school, all those sorts of things. You can't be there for them when they have to deal with it. So the question is, then how are you with them and in what way do you kind of position yourself um so one they'll be open to what you have to offer and then also you're providing them with skills that allow them to sort of cope and function so rick the open the that the kids will be open to what you have to Mm -hmm. offer when you're aware and you check in with yourself about how you are with them can you speak a little bit about what you've seen in your experience or read in your research about how how the child or youth is open to what you have? Right. Well, I guess part of that, you know, kind of working backwards on it is to talk about what doesn't work, um, which has okay. to do with, with shaming. Um, and you kind of touched on it um, a little bit is that, you know, shaming is quite pervasive in our culture and all around us. Um, and, and it can happen um, very, very... Um, 
um, subtly and without it being intended. Um, but basically, you know, what shaming is, is a message to another person about them. Um, it often, you know, starts out with a person, child having done something. Um, but, you know, you can imagine, you know, a parent saying, I'm ashamed of you. And so when you say mm -hmm. that um, to a chi child um, or a youth, um, it's a direct message to um, their sense of self. And it also happens in the mm -hmm. context of the relationship. So you've got two things going on at once. You've got the, you know, the, the relationship and how, you know, most kids and youth, um, you know, very much look to their parents and look up to them. So they've let the parent down when they hear, I'm ashamed of you. Um, but also they can pick up the message that there's something wrong with them, that they have, you know, not only done something wrong, but there's something wrong with them. And that's where, you know, shame becomes problematic. Um, because it's, you know, it's, you know, this sort of um, kind of double whammy because shame in and of itself um, has different sort of, you know, features to it. One is, you know, if you do something uh, and you get a message that's shaming, um, it interrupts, you know, sort of your good feelings. Um, and so it can point the way to um, something that needs to be fixed. But when it's, you know, directed towards the person and their sense of self and who they are, that's when it becomes potentially toxic. And when it, you know, becomes mm. toxic, then then it starts to create this sort of, you know, barrier between, you know, the, the two people. So between parent and kid, um, because all of a sudden um, they, you know, they've been told there's something wrong with them. So they're not necessarily going to be open because when we're shamed, okay. different things happen to us because shame's not uh, a pleasant emotion. Um, so to cope with it, um, we typically respond in one of four ways. Um, we might, you know, sort of lash back at a person um, or uh, the shame may go inward uh, and we take it out on ourselves um, or we can run away and hide from it um, or deny that what's being talked about is an issue at all. Um, so, you know, it becomes really complex and it's, that's called sort of the, the compass of shame. So if you imagine a compass with four points on it, um, those are kind of the four points on it. So that's where, um, you know, getting kids to be open and be open to what we have to say. We have to look at, you know, how we talk with kids um, and how we approach them and what messages they might be picking up that maybe we didn't intend to, to convey, uh, mm -hmm. but we've conveyed. Um, you know, typical thing, and it's a joke in our family, is um, because I, supposedly I know this stuff. The one thing that doesn't help is to say to a kid, you know, um, what did you do or why did you do that? Either one of those approaches shuts kids, kids down. Um, yes. Oh, yes. My question there very much is appointed, accusatory um, and directed to the person. Um, and that's where, you know, when we forget that that uh, an important distinction is we have to distinguish between the person and what they did. Um, we have to, you know, distinguish between sort of the, the deed and the doer, um, the person and their actions, choices and impacts, because what we want to do is preserve um, the integrity of, of the kid's self-esteem, um, but help them look at what they've done um, and what their mm -hmm. actions are and the consequences and the impacts. And that's where then I think we're, we're equipping kids with tools 
for down the road um, in the here and now. Because what we're wanting them to do mm -hmm. really is start to think about their actions. And that's about, you know, choice making. So if we can have a conversation that's open, that doesn't blame, that doesn't shame, um, then kids can begin to talk to us and then with us together, we can explore, um, okay, so, you know, what was happening there? Um, what are your thoughts about that? How'd that, you know, um, impact on others? Um, who was impacted? Um, did it give you what you wanted? Um, what did you want? You know, so all of those things become exploratory. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. If we just go back to the, uh, what did you do or why did you do that? Those mm -hmm. questions. And uh, even in the school systems, a lot of times when there is discipline yeah. or there is a, an issue that needs to be addressed, that's oftentimes the script and the way of trying to get to the bottom of it. And uh, not to get too far off topic because uh, restorative work in schools or schools in general and how they discipline is a whole other series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I often, uh, in my work with, with children in my practice, I'll, I'll share with parents that, you know, you said that those are more accusatory mm -hmm. sort of questions. Yeah. And uh, I will often speak about how you're asking the question as an adult with an adult yeah. brain that's fully developed, that is looking for some kind of logic mm -hmm in a certain action, choice, or decision yeah. that is a developing yeah. brain that they can't even answer that question. Exactly. And and then like you're saying, oftentimes there's, well, you didn't say this, but yeah. I know there's frustration and maybe comes on the part of the yeah. adult and then that's when discipline and punishment comes in and then you've lost all that sense of preservation for self-esteem, it's gone. And I mean, that's in one yeah. instance. And imagine doing that multiple times over, and all of a sudden the, the, the shame is, is really just building from the ground up and increasing. And so you have a two-year-old and then you have a, you know, four-year-old and, and yeah. you know, not checking in with yourself as a parent and yeah. being able or, you know, continuing to do that over a number of years, it's it's very toxic and it is a huge barrier. Right. Well, and it's interesting, this sort of the image that came to me when I was thinking about this discussion was a lot of times people talk about sort of the soundtrack of their life. Um, they hear music and say, well, that was the soundtrack of whenever. And I was thinking about this from that point of view. And just as you mentioned here, these small moments and, and encounters really are laying down the soundtracks of childhood and adolescence for, for our kids and that. So if it's a soundtrack, mm -hmm. um, that has, you know, shaming in it, then that'll be the, the, the soundtrack that accompanies them throughout their life and become um, yeah. the script that's there and the words in their head that they hear about themselves and their ability to, you know, handle challenges and adversity. So what we want to give instead is really and lay down a soundtrack that, you know, supports um, resiliency, um, an attitude of can do, um, an attitude,
attitude of, you know, I'm able to respond to challenges. I don't have the answer to everything, but I've got kind of the, you know, the wherewithal within to, to handle things that happen to me. Um, so I think it, you know, um, as parents, there's a great opportunity uh, to become this kind of sound engineer and create um, tapes for our kids that will play um, on and on. And I think we know as adults um, from our own experiences, if we look back, you know, on our how we were parented, we can oftentimes uh, tap into those uh, tapes that we hear. Um, and it's easy to ask yourself, is it a tape that, you know, um, that, you know, evoke shame or is it one that evoke pride um, in your ability? Yeah. yeah. And even just to uh, when you were talking about earlier, the compass of mm -hmm. shame and responding in one of four ways, you spoke about lashback, mm -hmm. inward, turning within ourselves, uh, running away or denying yeah. that it's even an issue. I mean, if we even think about um, the, the response, the uh, like the survival yeah. instinct, fight, flight it's or freeze, fight. that's that's fight, flight yeah. or freeze right there. And if we bring it back to a physiological yeah. level, there are impacts in the body yeah. related yeah. to this this experience. And, yeah. uh, you know, we know that can go far, too, in terms of inducing you know, full-on medical well, issues. Well, right. I think and... the, the, what we know more and more about sort of the impact of, you know, stress, which, you know, shame is going to, um, you know, cause mm -hmm. stress, then it has these, you know, sort of hormonal responses where we, um, you know, emit cortisol, which is the sort of the stress um, component in our bodies, which then if that doesn't have an opportunity to have a release, um, then that mm -hmm. can build up and affects our immune system. Uh, and more and more, mm -hmm. we're seeing it relate to, um, you know, sort of, as you said, um, serious health consequences uh, down the road in that. So there's another reason to think differently about, you know, how we parent and how we engage there's some real um you know health concerns and health opportunities um by responding one way in contrast to another i really like that another reason to think differently yeah there there is another reason to think differently and there's another reason to challenge ourselves it to challenge ourselves and and do that personal work that checking in with yourself for that reason right yeah i think i think it yeah. gives you know the, the you know if we look at it stand back we can see multiple benefits so um it's you know it's good for our child in terms of their well-being um and their ability to sort of develop their own identity but it's also um fosters you know good health and that on the part of our kids and then as a result of that um Hopefully, there's also spinoffs for us as parents that we feel good about, you know, what we're doing um, and that, you know, we're comfortable with our approach because it's more explicit. Um, it's more considered. Um, it's less reactionary. Um, and it gives us a chance to sort of have sort of second thoughts about what we're doing. Because, you know, as parents, we're also we're human, so we react as well. Um, but the great thing mm -hmm. is, as I always say, in terms of relationships, you can always go back. So even if you reacted mm -hmm. in a particular way that you thought, okay, hold on, that wasn't good, um, then, you know, we can always go back and say, hold on, you know, I've thought about this and this is, you know, really how I think um, I should have handled it. And let's try it from that point of view. So I think there's lots of opportunities when we're parenting 
because um, also, you know, I'm very aware that, you know, parenting has its own stresses and it's it's such a day to day, minute to minute um, experience with so much coming at mm-hmm. you in the middle of, you know, the rest of one's life that, you know, we need to give ourselves a break also as parents. You know, we can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. No, and, and that's a big message in in my podcast series is that we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that we're not perfect and that we are human and um, recognizing there is tremendous power in going back and repairing and you realizing that, oh, I could have handled that differently. Or now that I've calmed down, that looks differently. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. And uh, kids are very, very open to that, obviously, as, as, uh, because it comes back to the being in relationships. Exactly. And and it humanizes things. And I think by doing that, Mm -hmm. you you know, you also are a role model. Uh, You're saying to -hmm. kids, um, mistakes happen but mistakes can be fixed and things can be repaired. And that to me is the sign of a healthy relationship is where um, mm-hmm. those moments that, you know, tend to um, negatively impact on the relationship, you can take those and you can repair them uh, and then move on. And that's what makes a strong relationship, you know, both with kids, but also, you know, with adults, um, it applies universally. That's where I think the, the relationship orientation um, is so important because that is the constant thread through all through, you know, through our lives with other people is how we're relating and how we, you know, have the courage to have sometimes difficult conversations especially Mm -hmm. with our kids. And, you know, and that becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, much more critical as they move into adolescence because they're forming their own sense of identity. Um, They're forming their own sort of, you know, morality. They're assessing the world in that. Um, They don't take things for granted. So the relationship in a way has to take on a different um, form and look because you're dealing with um, adults in the making then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such good stuff. What has been your experience, Rick, in offering up the restorative parenting concepts to families that you work with? I mean, it's for me, it feels very organic. It feels very natural. And especially when you're coming at individuals with an approach that is acknowledging what shame is, what it looks like, and it feels to me like it's breaking down barriers in terms of even just you sharing the information and creating this. You talked earlier about exploration Mm -hmm. and curiosity and openness. And so families who there is another way of being in relationship with your child how I'm imagining they're pretty open to the message that you send or that you speak. Well, about. Right. I think also it's context. So um, typically I've offered it as, as workshops. Um, so mm-hmm. rather than in the context of counseling or therapy or treatment. So I think when mm-hmm. it's offered as education, then it's for everybody. Um, okay. And then what's always been interesting is the mix in the group of, of, you know, parents and families who are dealing with all 
all sorts of different things from their own family configuration um, to, you know, sort of separated parents. Um, I had one group who um, one parent came for one set of uh, workshops and then um, the other one was kind of encouraged to come to the next set. They didn't come together because they were separated, but they wanted mm -hmm. to figure out um, and sort of maximize their co-parenting in that. So overall, you know, mm -hmm. for me, and this is what I think, you know, sort of a restorative approach is about and also linked to parenting is it normalizes things. Um, mm -hmm. This is not about, you know, um, a select group that needs something highly specialized. It's about how do we, you know, parent in this case, using sort of restorative relational approaches, looking at, you know, the power in our relationships and that sort of thing. And what, you know, the other sort of response I got from one parent who came back for the, uh, another round of workshops, I asked her how come, and she said, well, it's really changed how I parent. Part of it was looking at just parenting styles by looking at, you know, how much she used power, when, where, and, and in what way, um, she could chart her own progress over time uh, and see some real differences and different impacts in that. So, uh, you mm -hmm. know, again, I think what it does is it allows for more conversation because when people go, you know, into therapy and treatment, one of the challenges is that, um, you know, there's an element of shame that can accompany um, Mm -hmm. parents when they do that um mm -hmm. you know because <laughs> things are not going well and when things are not going right. well then we think well <clears throat> there's something wrong with me or whatever so it mm -hmm. becomes a self-blame thing whereas you know workshops and an educational approach um it's not saying that anybody's doing anything wrong it's saying like you know here's some information um and we're gonna you know try and uh make it you know good for everybody yeah, I like that, that it's um, for everybody and it normalizes. It's not, you know, specifically saying you're a select group of people where parenting is going awry, this is something for you, or parents, things getting so bad that they're seeking out professional help that will often say to themselves, uh, you know, that earlier you talked about that message that kids get is uh, it's something about them, mm -hmm. then they start to internalize their role as a parent and shame themselves in in walking through the counselor yeah. or therapist door saying I can't do this and so that's I like that you clarified that thank yeah. you and well and the other thing too is also doing it as an like an educational approach is what it does is it creates a peer group um, and mm. by using the experience and the strength and the support in in groups like that then what you do is create um, a group of, you know, wise people with lived experience who can speak to each other. Mm -hmm. So even though, you know, I'm, you know, facilitating and even though I'm a parent and I'll draw in my own experiences, there's still a bit of a role difference because I'm running the workshop. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but when people can hear from each other, um, you know, I think our humanity kicks in um, and mm -hmm. we respond um, with empathy is what I've seen time and again on the part of parents who participate. Yeah, because everything that I understand the restorative approach to be, it really is about giving, like you said earlier, the tools to the parents to be able to have the relationship that they ultimately, I believe they ultimately want with their child. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, yeah, and this is it. I think, you know, the principle behind that is, you know, we want to show up in the best way in life. Um, so we have different roles and this is an opportunity to allow parents to show up uh, in the best way as parents, which then um, ripples out to their kids um, so that they can yeah. um, show up in the best way in life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So one of the other things we were going to talk about today was respectful mm -hmm. discipline. And I wondered if you had some, I mean, we all know what discipline is raising kids. It's uh, sometimes for some people, it's teaching them a lesson or, um, well, I guess ultimately that's what it, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? Well, the question is, yes. How do we, how do we, um, support and engineer lessons for our kids. So you can teach them a lesson. You can tell them, um, you know, what the, what the content of that lesson is, um, or you can help them see it. Um, and I think, you know, respectful discipline um, involves kind of a circle of, you know, asking questions that are not blaming and shaming um, that, you know, explore with the kids um, what they saw, what they thought, um, who was impacted, how were they impacted, um, what do they think about things now, um, and then what can they do to fix things in that. So it's, you know, uses like natural and logical consequences but the respectful piece for me is that um, it's a conversation between two people and you know and it needs to be scaled to you know where kids are at but I think you can even start um, at a very young age I was asked you know many years ago when do you start you know having responsibility um, for your kid and I said you know um, start you know when they're two years old you know there's a certain level mm -hmm. um, you know kids need to take responsibility for for what they do and you know in that case it was you know having to do with kids hitting each other one of mine was doing that um and we you know needed to you know work um with her around um hitting others and how that wasn't okay um and then that just sort of you know develops over time in terms of the type of conversation you have um with your child and especially when they become adolescents um then you're going to have you know more extended conversations but the respectful piece is about having um, an actual conversation with your child. So rather than telling them um, what should happen, um, it's, you know, it's framing both the conversation, but what you want as expectations that are based on values. So to me, there's always a contrast between um, you've got rules, which are meant to be broken, as anybody will tell you, <laughs> or you've got expectations. And to me, expectations are based on values and people's potential. Um, so if I expect, you know, my kids to um, do chores in the house, it's because we value um you know, kind of our place as a family place. But, you know, one of the expectations is that everybody has to pitch in. Um, everybody's got to do a piece um, and they have to do it in a way that, you know, reflects that, you know, we're living in a shared space. Um, so it's, you know, conveying the reasons behind that because that then becomes lessons again for later on in life. Um, you know, all my kids, you know, or most of them have gone on to live out with other people, you know, going to university. So they need to know how to share space um, and what, you know, chores are all about and things like that. 
you know, or allowances, you know, whatever you want to, um, you know, sort of focus in on, but all of them, you know, you need to get to the value behind the expectation. Yeah. And I, I like how you say it's a conversation between two people. It's rather than telling you're having that conversation about the, which isn't the blaming and shaming. It's a conversation about, you know, what they saw, what they thought, who was impacted, what they think now and how to fix it. And it's interesting because when you threw out the age two, when someone would ask you like, mm -hmm. when's a good time to start this? I actually was already thinking age right. two uh, because I do believe it can start that early. And in fact, I believe that in doing it and starting it that early, by the time you get to adolescence, it's just a well-versed way of communicating with one another that it just happens seamlessly. And it's, it's, and it also, I think, for the the child, creates a safe place to land when they do make that bad decision because they know it's not about blame and shame, which then turns into manipulating a situation so they don't get in trouble. It's more about, okay, you know, yeah, I, I didn't make the best choice in this decision, but yeah. we're going to go like we always do and we're going to talk about it and we're going to figure it out and you know, mom or dad's going to help me figure it out and uh, to right. start and at age two and then up into adolescence. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and exactly. And I think, in, you know, and so then what you have, again, is you've got you've created like a, a process around how you talk about things. So that becomes another expectation. So the expectation is that you're going to talk about things in a particular way. Um, so that then is, you know, often what's called a fair process. If, you know, kids know what's expected of them, if they understand and they're involved in, you know, sort of um, clarifying that um, and there's clarity around, you know, how it's going to happen, then, 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 then that's called a fair process. And it's really important, you know, with adolescents who are well-primed to see unfairness in the world. Um, as a parent, I don't know how many times I've been told by my budding lawyer children um, how this is, you know, uh, not fair, unjust or whatever. But, you know, if you're, you know, as you said, if you're doing things seamlessly and over time, then what happens is, you, you know, you can, you know, kind of fall back and say, well, no, this is actually how we typically deal with things. It's not unfair. You may not like it, um, which is different mm -hmm. from being unfair, but this is how, how we do things, which then brings in the whole idea of consistency. Um, so the consistency mm -hmm. is how you approach it. What the solution will be each time probably, you know, needs to be individualized because each situation is unique, um, mm -hmm. which I think it only makes it then relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it just, there are main principles in restorative parenting that once you grasp those, it it just becomes a natural way of being in relationship with your child it's i mean and i'm thinking just as a listener hearing us speaking that it might seem like a really big task or overly complicated uh maybe because it's very different from the way that they do things now and also because uh sometimes parents or caregivers will think or will say you know is it too late is it too late for quote unquote johnny for us to reconnect with our child and that 
always makes me a bit sad because I don't ever think that it's too late. No, I don't think it's ever too late. It just, you know, it may mean because there's water under the bridge that there's some, you know, ground that needs to be retraced. Um, And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we need to, you know, help parents um, go back to some, you know, Mm -hmm. events that, that, you know, kids have some thoughts and feelings about um, and allow them to talk about um, what the impacts were on them. So I think, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. in order to have a relationship now, we need to repair and rebuild um, Mm -hmm. based on past circumstances. So it's never too Mm -hmm. late. It's a matter of um, where you need to go in order to be able to move forward. So I think sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that doesn't sound a little bit too crazy, uh, but I think we all no. know that the past has a huge uh, impact um, on, on all of us. And what's always interesting, I find, is with kids, their memory of events. Um, <laughs> I was just we, that. Yeah, if we allow them to speak about, you know, how they saw things, um, I mean, one mm-hmm. great, great example um, from my uh, now 21 year old is because we're a step and blended family um, and my two daughters are um, stepchildren of my wife. Um, he figured that I was his stepfather because they had step stepmother. So I must be a stepfather, which wasn't the case. That was when he was five. Um, so that was mm-hmm. a little bit of a hold on a second here. But once again, kids put together the way they see the world and the pieces that they've got. Um, so it was good that I could clarify or my wife could clarify for him that, um, that I really wasn't a stepfather. Well, and it, it also brings to light something that comes up often for me in sessions is that parents will lovingly try and set the memory you talk you know we were talking about going back and retracing the Mm -hmm. steps and giving the child a chance to speak about the impact of something parents may try to fill in the blanks or Mm -hmm. set the record straight and I my job is to create space for what the child experienced Mm -hmm. because that that memory or that experience for them you may not remember it differently, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen for this person and they need to be able to say what it is and what the impact was for them. And um, yeah, well, their memories are their memories and their perception is their reality. So we can't convince, you know, other people Mm -hmm. um, to see it differently. We might be able to offer in um, additional information or we might be able, you know, um, as parents and adults to add in what was going on at that time that the kids may not have seen Mm -hmm. and what the thinking was about. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. that can be important because a lot of times if we just look at, you know, the behavior and then fill in the blanks, um, we're filling in with our own um, sort of imagination. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, Mm -hmm. once again, that's where respectful conversations where people get to talk, but also listen um, and back and forth uh, can be, can be helpful in families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their perception is their reality. I like that. It is mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rick, we're coming to the end of our time today, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering if there was any other things that you wanted to add today regarding parenting without shame, a restorative and respectful discipline. Um, 
The only other thing that I would probably add in, and it's a quote from Brene Brown. Um, I hadn't used a lot of her her um, work until recently when I looked at it. I was using other um, sort of authors and that, but it's interesting. Um, she has some great quotes in that. But one of the things that she says is that um, shame cannot survive being spoken um, and being met with empathy. So you know, I think for um, any anybody who's, you know, parenting and with a kid who's feeling some shame, just feeling shame, that if we allow them to talk about it um, and if we can hear how they're feeling, um, I think that that then also um, can be uh, a real support to them and help them with their own resilience. You know, I think of, you know, kids, you know, in school and they're not able to do whatever, whether it's math or reading or writing, or they're not, you know, um, you know, making friends they, the way they want to, and they're being pushed out. Um, a lot of that then reflects back on the kid's sense of self. So if we can allow them to talk about how they're feeling and how they're feeling about themselves uh, and be empathetic with them, I think that can be incredibly helpful. So I think, you know, once again, it's creating these pathways so that when you've got to have a conversation about some things they've done that, you know, are on the discipline side, um, you've created those openings that allow for conversations around a whole bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And she actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Brene Brown has a, there's a brief less than three minute yeah. video on YouTube yeah, Brene Brown on empathy is the title of it. It's it's kind of humorous, yeah. but it's very clear. It talks yeah. about, uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. So I'll link that in the show notes, and uh, it sort of speaks to the difference between shame and empathy. Yeah, I think the the humor in it comes yeah. in that I think we can all yeah. recognize that part of us that has yeah. shamed that we, like you said earlier, we didn't even yeah. realize that it was shaming. Yeah. And so that's where the education and the information yeah. and the importance of communicating comes into play. Uh, Rick, thank you very much for chatting with me again today. And I look forward to our, our future two episodes. Okay. And do you want to just remind the listeners about the best place to reach out to you? I'll put the links in the show notes again, but did you want to say anything quickly about your website? Uh, right. I have a website. Um, it's called Just Us Restoring. Um, so you can probably Google it and it'll come up that way, hopefully. Um, also, mm -hmm. I've got a Facebook um, a site as well called uh, Just Us, a Center for Restorative Practices. Um, and then you can put my email on the links as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know about the Facebook yeah. page. I'll have to connect with that right. one. Yeah. And the Just Us Restoring is justusrestoring.com. I have it up right. here now. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, that's great. We didn't have any tech glitches today, Rick. It was a great episode, and I look forward to chatting okay, with you Okay, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Okay. Take care. Bye, -bye. Bye. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.